Overnight, there were protests in dozens of cities across this country, anger erupting over police brutality towards African Americans. No, I already know that, bro. I trained with half of these bum ass dudes at the academy, bro. You know that's bogus right now, bro. You know it's bogus. You can't even look at me like a man because you're a bum, bro. He's not even resisting arrest right now, bro. His nose is bleeding. You fucking stopping his breathing right now, bro. You think that's cool? That's what You think that's, that's cool really though, not. right? What's your right. what's your oh, what, oh man, what's your badge number, bro? You think Honestly. that's cool right now, bro? And tonight, for the first time, we were hearing that 911 call from Brianna Taylor's boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, desperately begging for assistance, all while trying to wake up his girlfriend that night. Brittany, oh my you said 26. Where was she shot at? I don't know. She's on the grill right now. I don't know. Help! Oh my God! Yes, help! What's her name, sir? Is, oh is she alert and able to talk to you? No. Questions are still swirling tonight about what exactly happened the moments before a young black woman fell to her death from her High Park apartment yesterday. The province's police watchdog is now investigating as the family demands answers about how a call for help ended with such a horrific ending. It's the way they went into it, how aggressively they went in there after, after a girl that is 100, it, it's 100 pounds. It's the way that they went in there. I asked the police yesterday if they could take my daughter to Camp H and my daughter ended up dead. On October 31st, 2008, Abbas Abukar was found murdered in Northmont Park in Edmonton. He was shot hours earlier and his body was exposed for students to gawk at as they started their day at Dickensfield Junior High. Abbas was an electrical technician, enrolled in the business program at Humber College in Toronto. He lived in Ontario with his family, and came to Edmonton for the summer to live with his pregnant sister and make some tuition money. He was 21 when he was killed. The Edmonton police suspected that he had friends involved in gangs and drugs. His sister, Asha Abukar, told CBC in 2010 that the police didn't do enough to solve his murder. She said, and I quote, They stated that in the news when he passed away, it was supposedly gang-related. But I believe that they feel that it's better they kill each other off than housing them in jails. And that really breaks our hearts. Because my brother was not a criminal. My brother was a guy who was trying to start his life. End quote. I was one of those students that day, at Dickensfield, who saw Abbas in the park. So was Bashir Muhammad. We went back to Dickensfield to reminisce on that moment and talk about the community and the police. There's a lot of rumors. I remember everyone being a little on edge, like all the teachers and admin and everything. And they had an assembly where they brought it all, they brought us all together. And they said, it was right. I don't remember much from the assembly, but I remember them basically saying, telling us, don't talk to media. 
because I don't know it would make the skull look bad or something and you know I was just a kid I didn't really think it was that weird or anything until much later like we didn't get any counseling or anything it was just kind of a thing that happened like right there so um I remember I remember walking into school and I my parents always dropped me off like very early so by the time I got here there was like a crowd of kids like facing in this direction right here and basically you could see in the distance that there was like a like a like if you moved close enough you could see like a guy laying down essentially mm-hmm. and there was like a crowd of kids and basically like people are like oh yeah that guy's dead mm-hmm. and like most people didn't believe people were like yeah this guy's dead like we were like oh, you're just messing with us or whatever yeah. um so yeah it's very surreal when we had that like yeah like assembly and it was like oh like this actually happened and the fact that it happened on halloween as well it's just like yeah that's an added kind of creepy effect to it but yeah yeah and yeah and i guess for some context i think because i grew up like somali in edmonton and growing up at that time like the late 2000s like early 2010s there's a huge like a large number of somali murders i think it was upwards of like 30 murders in alberta so actually right after this one happened i was like watching tv or something heard a bunch of gunshots saw saw a bunch of police come and then on the like 11 o'clock like global news they were talking about a murder and i found out you know it was this young guy i think early 20s uh, his name is Ahmed, and uh he was just killed in uh in, in the parking lot and the, the wild thing about that was the next day all the cops were gone and i just walked to school it's like no one really acknowledged it you know in hindsight i kind of look back and you know it's kind of messed up like so much of our our childhood like my childhood and your childhood is kind of scattered with those memories if we can just describe the school now like like we're here in in 2020 and everyone here is black like there's a guy playing soccer in the field right now it's black dude there's plenty of people in the basketball court um and i think it was really relatively similar when i went to school it's a very diverse neighborhood a very diverse school as well Sorry, I just noticed. You saw how that kid, like, rode his bike down the hill? Yeah. Uh, that's actually how I learned how to ride my bike. My sister took me to the top of a hill, like, uh, not that far away. And she, like, pushed me down the hill until I could I could, until I could ride the bike. So, like, that's, like, it's kind of weird. Like, I'm looking around, I'm just getting all these memories. And, yeah, I don't know. Like, nothing's really changed. The only thing that's changed is, I guess, the kids playing basketball. Like, I played basketball on that court those kids are just like the next generation and it's kind of weird like not recognizing them because growing up here even in university i would come back and i would recognize all the kids so now it's kind of weird seeing basically a new generation kind of dealing with the same things we dealt with right because there's still unfortunately you know murders that happen and there's still issues with policing I'm Omar Salafu, and you're listening to Is This For Real? I've been an Edmonton-based journalist since 2015 and met Bashir when we both studied at the University of Alberta. When the world erupted into protest against anti-black racism and police brutality, I got together with Bashir and Avnish Nanda, an Edmonton-based lawyer, to tell the story of how these topics play out in our own city. We don't want this moment to fade away and let problems with policing and racism continue to linger in our community. 
That's why we launched this 10-episode podcast project. We'll be investigating how the police in Edmonton intersect with various institutions that affect our lives, from the school system to the media and representation in the police force. Okay, now back to my conversation with Bashir. What, what kind of characterized your experience as a, as a kid with the police? Mm. Well, I remember how they would patrol like our, my neighborhood. So my neighborhood is not that far from here. It was a social housing unit. Um, and it was, I think it was Dickensfield number three is what it was called. But the different social housing units had like different colors. So there was like the brown houses, the green houses, the white houses. And, and I lived in the brown houses. And it was like a, it was like a circle. Uh, so there's two ways, to, sort of like a donut actually. So there's like two ways to get in, and there's like an inner, inner houses and then uh, outer houses, and it was all social housing. And the way the police would patrol is that they would drive in, do a loop really quick, and then zoom out. And any time like something happened, like I remember they were looking for this guy, and what they would do is they would just close off both entrances with cops, swarm the neighborhood, and if anyone stepped outside, like they would like sometimes draw guns. And I, I vividly remember that. I remember that happened to my sister. She was on the porch when that happened. And yeah, it was it was wild. So that, so I guess that's my early kind of experience. Not even like cops walking. It was like police vehicles or like police SWAT teams or like those big uh, trucks they bring after a murder or something. I don't know, like I, because there's so many like other black people, like, yeah, you're right. Literally every single person in this field is black, right? Like on the court, the soccer field, even the kids. Like they're, they're Somali. I can tell from here that they're Somali. And uh, yeah, like I obviously felt like an outsider in Edmonton. But when I was in this neighborhood, you know, Dickensfield, North Mount and all that, I was obviously, I felt like I was part of a community, right? Like kids would play outside. Um, you know, kids would play basketball. We'd hang out by, you know, these rocks that are by our neighborhood. But anytime I left to like, I don't know, go to high school or something, and I would go to like a Tim Hortons, like outside of my neighborhood, I remember that time getting a lot of looks from people, right? Because Somalis were not seen that positive then. And people could clock me as Somali pretty, pretty easy. So I guess it was to always live under, you know, kind of suspicion. Also the way Somalis were portrayed in media too. Like when all the murders were happening, we were seen as like, you know, as gangs, gangsters, uh, supporting gangs because police, the way the police framed us was as, as not willing to. They framed us as like not wanting to cooperate. I remember um, there was a murder that happened and a detective, I think his name is Bill Smith or something. Just to jump in here, the EPS detective's name is actually Bill Clark, not Bill Smith. He straight up said that if the Somali community wouldn't cooperate, we would actually move on to different cases. Like, they said that, and they later had to apologize. But you can see, like, like people wanted these murders solved. They didn't really, it didn't really seem like they were putting that much effort into community relations. Instead, they treated us like, uh, you know, we were under occupation. The other thing, too, like, the cops that did come by, the cops I did see, the cops I did interact with, it's like they weren't even from, like, the neighborhood. It's like they were from, I don't know, St. Albert, Shored Park. It just felt like we were being policed by like a foreign, a foreign force. And they're all white. I don't remember a black cop coming till much, much later. The police, like, they still have a tough relationship, like with the Somali community, with the black community, right? They still don't want to address systemic racism in the force. 
and there's still a lot of secrecy around stuff like the school resource officer program. Um, so I don't think much has changed. I think a lot of it is still, you know, the status quo. Um, and I think if anything, that's why this project matters, because we want there to be some type of change. Like we've now grown up, you know, we're now in the position where we can actually research this and I guess get answers to whether or not our experiences were real. Avanish Nanda is a lawyer in Edmonton. He represents clients that sue the government and police in Alberta and British Columbia. Can you just give me an oversight of how you would characterize the institution of the Edmonton police? You know, where the power lies, you know, who, who are the change makers? What have, what have you kind of seen um, as someone who's, you know, worked um, in, that, in that area? Well, th- th- it's a labyrinth. Like, there's so many different moving parts, so many different interests. Uh, so, like, you know, it's a massive, massive uh, institution. And, you know, it's competing, well, existence Edmonton, but it's, th- there's, you know, different police forces across the province that are subject to the same rules, uh, structures, but offering different, operating differently. So uh, it's, like, impossible to, I think, wrap your head around the complexity and then the size of the police force, what it does, uh, its history, like all that. But I think anyone who's dealt with it even to a minimal degree knows that uh, it needs to change. Uh, there needs to be major overhauls and um, there's a lack of oversight, both from the people like myself who represent people who have bad interactions with them, um, from a governance standpoint, from the city, police commission, as well as the province, but also you know, from the media, because uh, so much happens within the police force, which, you know, has a high, a significant amount of, receives a significant amount of taxpayer funding, uh, does a lot of important stuff, wields an enormous, enormous amount of power, but it, it's hard for them, for folks to keep them in check because, um, you know, it, it's, it's just like we're in this day and age where I don't think media has the resources to engage to it, and the police is just a, it's just a massive, complex uh, entity. So the media has its failings and has its lackings in terms of keeping it accountable. What are the formal structures in place to keep officers accountable when it comes to misconduct, when it comes to, you know, complaints or just like changes that need to be made in this institution? Well, the Police Act is the governing body. So uh, police forces are a creature of statute. They're created by... Um, uh, or the powers of uh, police officers are governed by the Police Act and how it's um, governed, how the oversight that's provided and, and all things of that nature really emanates from that piece of legislation. And, um, you know, uh, right now we have an outdated Police Act. We have a Police Act meant for policing maybe 20, 30 years ago. Um, and, you know, times have changed, expectations have changed. A lot of the, the power rests with these police commissions, these um, provincially constituted bodies that are supposed to work with municipalities and have uh, municipal representatives on there, but they lead or yield an enormous amount of power over all aspects of policing. They're supposed to provide that check on um, policing power, but I don't think anyone in Alberta really knows, cares, or wants to engage with them. And I don't think that uh, uh, police commission bodies care. Um, so I think you get uh, people and decisions made that may not reflect the best interests of 
the public, but may reflect the best interests of those who show up to these kind of engagements, which is often police union or police uh, services. So in democracies, in our system of government, um, you know, sunlight uh, in the form of transparency and accountability is what ensures that systems operate as intended and intended in the sense not how governments uh, create things but how the public expects them to operate um, that ensures that it occurs that people are able to figure out what's happening um, kind of examine it and determine if it's in their interests or if it meets their expectations and I think that when it comes to policing um, that's not happening in this province and I think the recognition of that is comes in the form of you know we have systems around police oversight and like disciplinary stuff where even the police acknowledge that it's deficient, uh, that it's not working. So if you have like, you know, people, members of the public, you have uh, police reform uh, advocates and you have police officers all agreeing that the system of police oversight, particularly when dealing with complaints, is not working, why has it changed? You, you know, th- th- there's something going on here that doesn't add up. Um, if all stakeholders agree that something needs to change and they've agreed for the last decade, how come it hasn't happened? And the public needs to ask that question. Um, why are we dragging our heels on this stuff? Um, so that's my hope is that we'll have an engaged, thoughtful understanding about policing and its nuances and where it has to head in 2020 in Alberta. I guess for starters, like I'm not an academic, I'm uh, I'm not really a journalist or anything. I'm I'm literally just a random guy who uh, is frustrated by 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 the secrecy, you know, when it comes to policing in our city. So, like for example, um, I was the guy who got got the carding data from the Edmonton Police Service, data that showed that black people were about five to six times more likely to be carded than white people. Indigenous women were 12 times more likely to be carded. And I did that because I, like I remember asking a cop before, do we have a problem here? Because in Toronto, the stats were released and they showed that there was a problem. And the cop told me no. And, uh, you know, if I was young, you know, if I was like, you know, the age of this kid, these kids here, I, I would have just, you know, let it go and just lived my life. Because um, I had other things to worry about. But I uh, started to find out more. It was a tough. It was a tough fight because once we actually released the data and once we showed that there was a problem, what ended up happening was that they pushed back hard. You know, Edmonton Police tries to push this reputation that they're a compassionate force. You know, they care about you know diversity and all that. But the police chief back then wrote an op-ed saying that street checks are based off circumstance, not race. Completely gaslighting us. Completely saying that our claims weren't real. Another thing I've worked on is SROs, school resource officers. Um, you know, I grew up with a cop in my high school. Didn't really think it was weird because we were just used to it. And um, yeah, I wanted to find out more about the program. And I asked for basic data. Like I asked for how many arrests there are there are in schools, how many fines, uh, what type of investigations go on in schools. I also um, asked for a breakdown of like race, gender, and all that. And uh, the price I was quoted was 64 grand. If the Edmonton police were this compassionate force, 
They would just give me this information, but instead I was met with a blue wall every single time. Why do you think you were met with that wall? Because I think they want to uphold the system. You know, if the first step of solving a problem is by recognizing that there is one. So if by Edmonton police continuing to, I guess, gaslight, you know, people like me, you know, the Somali community, when we say that there are problems, it shows that they're not really interested in solving these problems. So for me, it's, uh, I guess, kind of recognizing that and realizing that it's something that I kind of have to do on my own. Um, weirdly enough, in this moment, there's now a lot of interest in that work. Um, but yeah, it's, it's already made change, you know. The data led to the program being heavily cut. Carding has went down. Um, substantially. Now uh, every incident has to be reviewed by like a committee. It has to be reported to uh, the police commission quarterly. So there was some systemic change. If we didn't ask those questions, then I don't think that would have happened. And I guarantee you that police would have never done that on their own. But when it comes to like the murders and stuff, like, you know, when you grow up here, you know, a lot of us were put in social housing and it wasn't by choice really, right? Like a lot of our parents in Somalia, they were you know, like, they had jobs, like, they either worked in the trades or they were, you know, professionals like engineers or nurses. Like, my dad was an engineer, my mom was trained to be a nurse. And when we came here, their, their degrees were not recognized. So my mom uh, cleaned out an old folks' home. She was, like, a janitor there. Um, and my dad, he, um, he worked at Rona, and uh, he also worked at a meatpacking plant in Brooks. So we didn't really see him that much. So... You have many of these households where both parents are working, you know, um, you know, double shifts. Um, and uh, yeah, the kids are growing up low income. There's not many opportunities for them. And with all that, you know, we're kind of like isolated here, you know, like we're kind of pushed into, you know, these areas, these communities. Um, and we're kind of left on our own. And then, you know, government, police and schools, they question why you know, we're not performing well in school academically, so they stream us on lower courses. Police, they uh, bust us for like really small things. They, they then look at, look at us and say that we're, we're problems when we're not. Like this is a very vibrant community. If we had the same funding, the same resources, if we had the same type of policing that like a suburb has, not that far from here actually on the other side, 97th Street, we'd be doing fine. One of my last few years living here, I actually decided to uh, confront a cop, you know, and, and it was risky. So what what they what they do is they'll drive around the neighborhood at like one kilometer an hour with all their lights on and, 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 and they'll actually do a few loops and uh, it's called preventative policing or whatever. And uh, they would do this at midnight. It's like I remember one time I had to work the next the next uh, morning and I was really uh, I was really annoyed. So I went downstairs, at this point I'm like 17, 18, I don't know, maybe 19, anyways. Um, walk out the door, my mom uh, is like really afraid and just tells me to like be careful. And I go up to this cop and I ask him why they're doing that, you know, people are trying to sleep. And one of the first things he says is that, hey, you know, this is a rough area, right? Bashir actually recorded the entire interaction that he had with the police that day. What are you guys doing? What are we doing? What are you doing? You guys, 
This is the second time you've done this in a few weeks. Yeah. You go around the neighborhood with your lights flashing. True. And I'm trying to sleep. I have to work at 5 a.m. Okay. And last time that happened for about half an hour. Yeah. It was well, a little we'll frustrating. Back. We'll back. What's the like policy? What's the procedure? Like, you guys looking for someone? Is that why? Well, yeah. You live in this area here, right? Yeah, I live right there. Okay. So you know this is kind of a, a rough area, right? Yeah. What, what's the procedure? Like what? And I'm just curious well, about the policy. This? Yeah. Yeah. It's because because this is a bad neighborhood. We want people to know that we're here. We're watching. And right. we're if we see people out at yeah. night after dark, we want to talk to them and engage them and find out who's here, who shouldn't be here, that sort of thing. But also. Right. The other side of it is we want everybody to know, yeah, we're here, we're coming here a lot. Right. You guys have like, a community engagement officer in your northeast district, right? Yeah. That's you. I thought it was chilly. He's no. on. He was with us, he was the guy, and now he's moved on somewhere Are you else. No. no, no, he's another guy. He's another colleague that works for right. You guys used to do uh, beat patrols during the day, what happened? Oh, we still do that. Like foot patrols, like people would yeah, yeah. walk by. That still happens yeah. too. Yeah. You sure? Yeah? Are you not seeing them? Is that what you're saying? Uh, well, I, 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 work, I myself I was here a few weeks ago okay. in yeah. this area, walk, doing the same thing, driving around slowly, yeah. same thing. Me, me myself. I yeah. The lights, the, like, I just want to, like, make it clear, like, a lot of people here, they work late, right? Like, uh, or sorry, they work early. Like, I have to be up at five, and it's the second time it's happened. In my window, like, the lights, you know, flash into my window. Mm-hmm. So you can get blackout blinds. That'll block out some light. Yeah, but I mean... Because I'll tell you what the alternative is. We don't come around here. We don't and then to. somebody breaks into your car. You have to. And there's people that sure. are all over the streets. That's why we're here, right? Just because okay. there was the problem. We're following sure. the problem, right? But you guys don't have to uh, do the lights. No, we do. Is that procedure? It, well, yeah, it really is. It's part of part of the problem solving here. Yeah, but not everyone here can afford the... Uh... Sorry, what's your name? Bashir. Bashir? So I'm Robbie Bashir. That's me, Robbie. And you're... Yeah. I'm Keith. Keith, are you yeah. guys northeast? Yeah. yeah. And... Guys, is this? This is. I'm going to be the new constable, your liaison constable. So you're new. That's me. Yeah. In this year, yeah, I've been in working Northeast Division for five and a half years, and now I'm in this position where I'm into this area where all the problem areas are. Who's your neighborhood constable? What, what's been defined as the problem area sure. with all the statistics? This is one of them. Right. So we, as a policy, as a EPS, as an organization, said, okay. you know what? One way we're going to combat this is high visibility policing. We're going to put ourselves right in the middle of where the problems are. Right. Unfortunately, you happen to live there. Yeah. Unfortunately, you're going to get lights in your eyes. Right. You know, I was a part of Black Lives Matter Edmonton like three years ago with the carding stuff. And uh, I remember it was hard to get like even 20 people out to something. Like it was, it was extremely difficult. It was, and it was also a huge risk to say Black Lives Matter, you know, like, I, I vividly remember, like, having professional consequences. Like, I know I lost that on jobs just because I was associated with Black Lives Matter. Personal consequences. People hated us. Politicians didn't want to associate with us. You know, we were seen as radical ones. The same politicians now that are tweeting hashtag Black Lives Matter are those that didn't want to be seen near us. So I kind of come, come, come of it from that because it's a bit surreal to then look at this moment and see ten to 15,000 people by the legislature shouting Black Lives Matter. Like, that's surreal. It makes me a little optimistic, but I'm a little cautious too because the danger is a year from now we go back to having, you know, 10 to 20 people showing up to things. So I hope we can sustain this moment. I think one way to sustain this moment is a focus on local issues because, unfortunately, at that protest, at least my perception of it was that there wasn't that much of a focus. It was more of a solidarity protest to what was happening in the U.S. 
And the danger there is that people will leave thinking that there's not really issues here. So I think maybe this is why like this project is important because yeah, it definitely does come from this moment that we're in. Um, and I call it a moment because I, I don't really understand it yet. You know what I mean? Like we still haven't left it and it, it's still going strong. I guess me and you, we want this moment to keep going. We want to do something meaningful that's long-term so that uh, you know, this is not something that, that just lasts a month. One of the ways this will lose speed and lose momentum is if the Edmonton police and our politicians are successful in uh, trying to avoid accountability by pretending that you know these th these issues are not real. So I don't know. I think that's uh, I think that's why it's important that we're doing this so that we can show people that these issues are real uh, and not just like from our like we're talking a lot about our personal experiences, but we're not. We're going to show people the data. We're going to show people the research. Uh, we're going to give police an opportunity to respond. You know, I think this is a good opportunity to show how policing is in Edmonton and how policing black lives is in our city. Me and Bashir still don't know what happened to Abbas. The police don't either. They still haven't found who killed him and are currently offering a $40,000 reward for any information leading to the arrest of the person responsible. I can't help but think that the kids that are playing on the basketball court that day also have no idea what happened just a few meters across the field from where they're playing now. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Is This For Real? I want to take a moment to thank everyone who supported the show on Patreon. It's been overwhelming to receive all this support, and we can't thank you enough. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can always email me at oumar at isthisforreal.ca. Our team is excited to explore this topic more, and we'll be back with another episode in July. Thank you again for listening.